If your kiddo has food allergy, or if you know a kiddo who has food allergy, or really anybody who has a food allergy or a bee allergy, anything that puts them at risk of having anaphylaxis, then you're going to want to tune into this episode because I bring on one of my favorite mentees, student doctor, Maddie Oxford, and we talk through her beautiful new paper recently published in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in practice, all about stock epinephrine law heterogeneity in the United States. Welcome to Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with Dr. Alice Hoyt, the podcast about demystifying food allergies, diminishing allergy anxiety, and taking back control. Let's navigate this challenge together with evidence-based information, scientific research, and tried and proven practices. And now, here's your host, board-certified allergist and immunologist specializing in food allergy, Dr. Alice Hoyt. Hello, and welcome to the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast. I am your host, Dr. Alice Hoyt. Pam is not with me this week, but I have with me a very, very, very special guest, future Dr. Madison Oxford. Hello, Maddie. Hi, Dr. Hoyt. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Um, I've got to share with our listeners sort of why, of course, you're here. Um, and I'm just, I'm such a proud mama bear to be quite honest of you because Maddie is a first year medical student and Maddie and I first met when we were both at the University of Virginia, wahoo wah, <laughs> um, and Maddie has been working with the nonprofit that Pam and I work with, Code Anna, um, for years now. And most recently, she has transitioned to our advisory board after being our program director for over a year and did some just fantastic, fantastic work. And one of the things she did was worked with me in really understanding the heterogeneity of stock epinephrine legislation in the United States. And Maddie and I worked on this. We had many unique findings, which we will talk about, but ultimately um, she has a first author paper in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology and Practice, which for all of my um doctor friends listening, you know how hard it is to get a first author paper um, in such a fantastic journal, but to do it, um, I think you submitted it literally your first week of med school, Maddie, and yes. um, to, to have that type of publication is just extraordinary. So I'm just, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. That's also a testament to how much help you gave me and how much work you did as well. So I appreciate it. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> it does indeed. <laughs> oh my gosh. So let's talk about the paper because I know that in, in just this topic in general, and I'm going to go ahead and define for our listeners what stock epinephrine is. And um, also know that if you're listening to this podcast, which clearly you are listeners, um, then look in the show notes um, to link to our site. We'll have available the actual article. So you can actually go ahead and download it. The journal gives us the article with a free link. Um, so it should be available free 
uh, for the next few weeks. So definitely go ahead, check it out, download it. Even if you don't have time to read it now, go ahead and download it. Um, while the journal still lets us have it out there for free, because that's super nice. <laughs> um, but what stock epinephrine is, is epinephrine that is prescribed to an entity, whether it be a school or um, an early learning center, a restaurant, and it's typically in the form of an auto injector. The goal being having this emergency medication available to be used by trained individuals in case somebody has an anaphylactic emergency or has anaphylaxis at that entity and does not, for whatever reason, have their own epinephrine auto injector to use. And so that's really what stock epinephrine is. Um, Maddie, what what was sort of, I, I know you and I started this, this journey of heterogeneity of stock epi, I guess probably over a year ago. I mean, you worked on this for a long time. Um, what was sort of like your first thought when we when we first started talking about this, and then I'm going to ask you sort of like um, why this was really important for you to sort of figure out and take it on. Yeah, that's a good question. So I think when we first started looking into this, I was coming at it from the angle of looking at training programs in each state. And so this was for Kodiana's epi course, we were trying to gain approval for it in all the states. And so I had started out contacting individual states and I thought at first it'd be a pretty streamlined process, just kind of checking some boxes, getting some forms, and then we'd be good to go. But through that process, I was finding that there was a ton of variability state by state and how training was required, how often it was required, who provided it, um, you know, just a lot of different a lot of differences in training. And so then from there, I think we had talked and we had kind of taken a, we had backed up a little bit and looked into, okay, well, what are the epi laws in each state even saying? And then from there, we opened up a really huge uh, area into looking um, at how epinephrine is procured, how it's stocked, you know, which entities have laws for it. And that's kind of how we ended up here. That's so right. Oh, I'm so glad that we're taking this journey down memory lane. Um, and for a little bit of background for our listeners, Code Anna, and a lot of our listeners are familiar with Code Anna, we equip schools and early learning centers for medical emergencies like anaphylaxis. And one way we do that is providing epinephrine auto injector training, um, some in person, some online. We have a great online course that we keep at a really minimal price. And, and if you do want to support Codana, we actually say in lieu of giving us a donation, please go online and take our course. Um, it's currently $25, which is less expensive than a lot of the other courses out there. Um, and it's tremendously evidence-based. It's an enjoyable course. Um, but we ask people instead of donating, take our course. <laughs> so we we love this course because it does really teach non-medical professionals how to recognize anaphylaxis, what can trigger anaphylaxis, and how do you respond? How do you use the auto-injectors? And you're exactly right, Maddie. We were going state by state um, because some states uh, certainly regulate what what a training course, what qualifications it needs to have, the training organization, all these things. And so we're literally going state by state to have our course um, made accessible by by people in all states. And that's when we kept coming into, oh, well, this state's law says this and this state's law says that. And then you're exactly right. We stepped back and said, we really need to study what these laws are saying. Um, 
and and then what we really started getting into was the whole stock epinephrine school entity, non-school entity. And so I'm going to ask you in just a minute, like, let's talk through the the really great image that you created um, for the article and, and really sort of the difference between a school entity and a non-school entity. But before I get to that, um, what really did you find that really interested in this interested you in this? Because once we kind of took that step back, it was, okay, th- this is going to be a big undertaking. Like what, and you were about to go to medical school. Like what was it about this that you were like, no, this is something that, that I want to tackle. Hi there, this is Alexis from the Hoyt Institute of Food Allergy. Did you know that the Institute is the official sponsor of the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast? And did you also know that you are now able to connect with Dr. Hoyt directly? That's right. We are now offering food allergy office hours for parents. These one-on-one virtual sessions are available for parents all across the country. It's an educational session, not an office visit, where you can ask all of your food allergy questions and finally get answers. It's as comfortable as having a cup of coffee with your bestie. Simply click the link in the show notes to schedule and mention this ad. We are so, so excited to connect with parents across the globe with this new service. Okay, now back to Pam and Dr. Hoyt. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it just, it started out to just become this really big puzzle. And I really wanted to figure out, you know, how we could do something about it. It, I personally don't have food allergies and I don't have in my family a history of anaphylaxis, which is a blessing, but a lot of people I know and I'm close to do have that concern, you know, every day on their mind. And so it's just, it's really cool to me because epinephrine is a life-saving medication and, um, excuse me, a life-saving medication. And the more it's available at different entities, if that's schools, if that's restaurants, wherever it is, if I can do something to help clarify that even a little bit, it was just something that I kind of got my teeth into and really wanted to see through. Oh, I love that. That That's so awesome. What a champion um, for the food allergy community, especially coming from somebody who doesn't, you yourself have food allergy, but I mean, you see, that's so sweet. That's such, that's such a doctor mentality too. Like you see where other people have a challenge and you're trying to fix the problem for you. You're going to be such a great doctor. Um, (laughs) So before we get into going through the image or let's, let's go through the image. Um, I imagine you have it pulled up. We're recording on zoom. Um, but, and if, if you're listening and you can pull it up, go ahead and pull it up. But go ahead and describe the image for our listeners, imagining that most of our listeners are in their car. Um, I know some people are in their labs listening, all these different things. Um, Go ahead and describe the image first. Yes. Are you looking at the flow chart in the article? Yeah. Let's look at the the flow chart first, and then we'll look at the map because who doesn't love a good map? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. So, right, when we were looking at these, all the different states, we had finally kind of parsed through them all and were trying to figure out which each one was saying. We visualized the best way to put it was in a flow chart to kind of see how the laws break down their different requirements. So we started out first with just looking at, does the state have stock epinephrine legislation that's passed? And so we found that for 49 states, yes, there's passed legislation. The one state that still has pending legislation is 
currently Hawaii. And then from and what you mean by, sorry, let me interrupt, interrupt you for a second, Maddie. Um, what you mean by, do they have stock epinephrine legislation is really, is there something in the state's code that says that an entity or a person can have epinephrine typically in the form of an auto injector, which I think you'll comment on, um, but that can be used not necessarily for themselves, but for another person. Yes, exactly. Or unassigned epinephrine is sometimes how some, some legislation describes it. Yes, I agree with that. Okay. So the first fork in the road was most states have stock epi, but one state or has stock epi legislation, but, and legislation doesn't necessarily mean mandate. We'll get to that, but most states have stock epi legislation, but one state does not. Okay. So then we get into those states that do have stock epi legislation and we have another fork in the road. Correct. We do. So once we, once we got to that section, we were looking at how, who this legislation legislation was for. And so we found that it was either for entities or it was for individual people or sometimes both. So for the states that these laws referred only to individuals about, you know, individuals could procure the epinephrine, individuals could administer epinephrine if they're properly trained. The states that fell into that category were Alaska and North Dakota. And then Minnesota and Wisconsin both their legislation was referring to individuals as well as entities, so they kind of fall into the both category. And then the last bucket in this section was a legislation that referred only to entities and did not make um, special consideration of individuals. So that was definitely the majority with 45 states or 47 states um, with entity-specific legislation. And so when we're comparing entity specific versus individuals for stock epi, that basically means that a, whether the entity is a school or a business, which we'll get into that, that's the next fork, but that entity itself can have a prescription to Little Oak Elementary School, whatever the school may be, or Applebee's restaurant, the doctor actually writes the prescription to that entity as opposed to um, the individual where the individual can have the, the prescription. Um, so it, it's, it's really interesting to look at the legislation because in some of the states where it's stock epinephrine for an individual, it does not necessarily, it doesn't include the entity, which then you're like, okay, well, who cares? It's still like the individual can have it. Yes. But one of the benefits of most of the stock ebby legislation is that it provides some sort of liability protection or indemnification, meaning that if the entity has stock epinephrine and if the entity has trained individuals that, and typically that training is laid out in the legislation, then those individuals, if they use that in an emergency, they they can't be held liable if if there is a bad outcome, short of some sort of like assault, negligence, what some craziness, right? Someone actively trying to harm. But if they, in good faith, think someone's having anaphylaxis, and that's some of the terminology they usually use in this legislation, then um, then then they can't be held liable. So that's one of the benefits of of having the entity specific legislation is that it provides that protection, which ultimately we all know will 
increase the likelihood that this tool that stock epinephrine would actually be used. Because I mean, we could put stock epinephrine or epinephrine auto injectors or whatever, we could put them everywhere. But if there's not some sort of um, protection on for people who use it in good faith, recognizing anaphylaxis, then that it, it actually won't be used as often, right? Because people are, people are afraid they're going to get sued. Like that's real life, right? Um, so, so we thought, I especially thought that that was really interesting that there are a couple of states that have the individual specific without having any um, entity specific legislation. Yeah, that definitely, it was interesting. And I think we'll get to this more, but that indemnification is definitely a very important part of these laws. And it's not just for the entity or the individual, but also the prescriber, the training organization. You know, there's a lot of different layers that when they're clearly laid out, it helps kind of uncomplicate some of these requests, mandates, what have you for each state. Oh, that's a great way to put it. That is so true. That is so true. Okay. What's, what's the next fork? So we, we just looked at, I'll recap where we are. We started with, does the state have stock epi legislation? Most do. And then what is that stock epi legislation? Who does it really pertain to individuals, entities, or both? And in most states, it's, it's entities. So then what's our next fork in the road? Sure. So after we get to entities, we split it up. And so how it worked was that for 47 of these states, schools was an entity, and then we had other entities. So for the vast majority of these states, schools referred to K through 12 public institutions. But of course, there was a lot of heterogeneity here as well. So for some states that included uh, pre-K, or for one state rather, um, also sometimes it wasn't just public schools, it was private schools and or charter schools. So there wasn't a generalized definition for what schools was in terms of school entities. But generally speaking, this referred to public K through 12. And then other entities were generally when... um, the states split their legislation, so they had a school-specific and then everything else, basically. So here in your other entities, often this was pre-K or daycare, as well as restaurants, um, amusement parks, camps, just other entities that weren't directly um, education and schools. And I think the numbers here are really interesting because 47 states have school stock epi legislation meaning that in 47 states, schools can have stock epinephrine. Some of those states, it's mandated, which we'll get to in a minute. That's the next fork. Um, But so 47 states have school. Only 29 states have entity-specific legislation, um, meaning non-school entities, meaning exactly what you were saying, the, the camps the early learning centers and those are two and universities. And those are sort of the three areas where I hear from families, their concern is that, wait a second, a a daycare can't have stock epi. Well, Dr. Hoyt, aren't a lot of children who are newly diagnosed with food allergy, aren't they typically in early learning centers? Why? Yes, they are. Um, So it's, it's really interesting that we, we have done well, we being, the United States, um, we're doing well when it comes to getting epinephrine auto injectors into our schools, and we're we're continuing to do better and better. But an area where we are recognizing that there there is a gap in preparedness here 
really is in those other entities, especially when those other entities do are, are early learning centers, preschools that are not covered by that school legislation. So, and then, so there's only 29 states that have that other entity legislation, which is, which is really interesting. Cause I think a lot of people would think, oh, well, if, if a school can have stock epi, then of course a preschool can. But unfortunately, as you learned, when you very thoroughly <laughs> reviewed and annotated the legislation across the U.S., that not all states are including that. Exactly. Yeah, that was definitely a surprising finding. Um, okay. So now let's talk about the stock epi in schools. So that's our last fork. Right. Okay. So for those 47 schools that do have school-specific stock epinephrine legislation, we found that 12 of them mandated it and then 35 permitted. That was our word. I like how you said mandated. Yes. That was (laughs) mandated. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's tell our listeners why we're kind of like mandate. Right. So it's kind of a soft mandate because when we were getting into these laws and reading that fine print, um, for for several of these mandates, they were only upheld if there was adequate funding to support acquiring the stock epinephrine. And so it's these mandates, they're um it's a great step. You know, it's really helpful that these states are really pushing for stock epinephrine in the schools, but without the support of the indemnification and funding, the mandates aren't much more than just permission for the schools to stock epinephrine. Right. And, you know, that the word mandate is such a, such a polarizing word right now. Right. Um, but unfortunately that's the word that, that is applied when it comes to epinephrine in schools and sort of my approach to this, since we're dealing with a school with an entity, um, is that, you know, we do require schools to have fire extinguishers to put out a fire. More and more schools are requiring AEDs. God forbid somebody have cardiac arrest at school, though we know that happens, whether it's a student playing sports or a grandparent at Grandparents Day. I hear those stories too. Um, So we should also have what I think are basic 21st century uh, medical emergency supplies for to help take care of our kids. And, and I definitely think that AEDs are one of those things, that epinephrine auto injectors are one of those things, and also tourniquets are one of those things. A, a great program that's gaining more and more popularity is called Stop the Bleed. And it is a, it's a very simple program that teaches um, communities how to use a tourniquet um, in case there is a trauma, a gunshot, in any of those types of things. Um, so I, I think those are pretty simple ways to help schools be better prepared for medical emergencies. And the the concept getting back to this fork in the in in the beautiful diagram is is it mandated? It's all kind of sort of mandated if there's funding. Um, so it is really interesting how how the states lay out the legislation um, and kind of brings me over to now our map, which is beautiful. And you can also find on codeanna.org. Talk us through the map, Maddie. Uh, So the map is a really helpful way to visualize kind of what this flowchart is going through. So you can see that in the continental U.S. and Alaska, there is 
permission for schools to stock up nephrine. The only place that's still pending, as we said, was Hawaii. Um, and then you can kind of, you can also see where these mandates are. And of course, we've discussed the limitations of that wording. But it's very useful because on our website, this map is actually interactive. So you can go there and you can click on the state and then you can actually see the text of the laws and you can read for yourself all these nuances that we've been referring to. Oh, Maddie, and you did such a good job um, with all those nuances. Uh, for our listeners, Maddie and I spent hours upon hours on Zoom, literally combing through all of this legislation. Um, so I was just so proud when when she hammered out this, this really beautiful paper. Um, the one other thing that I wanted to talk about in the paper that I would love for you to talk our listeners through and something that I think is is so relevant to our listeners, especially if they're in a state, well, you know what, even if they are in a state that mandates, and I'm doing air quotes, uh, stock epinephrine, um, because who knows what that really means. Um, but, but how really does a prescriber and a school, how do they really work together to, to equip the school with stock epinephrine. Yes, that's a great point. And I think there definitely are some gaps still. A lot of prescribers that we've spoken with are a little bit unclear, you know, how do they want to prescribe the epi? They want these schools to have access to the medications, but they're not always super clear on how to do that. And so towards the end of this paper, we had compiled a roadmap for prescribers to be able to navigate uh, prescribing stock epi to a school. And so the first step we envision is that the school requests an, an epinephrine auto-injector from their prescriber. So that would be the first step. And then the prescriber would receive the forms to um, prescribe the EAIs or the auto-injectors. And then from there, the school could submit those forms to the pharmacy. And then once that's approved, the school would receive the auto-injectors. And then that final step would be that together the school and the prescriber could collaborate on training for individuals at the school to be able to use these auto-injectors in the case of an emergency. And then this is where the different training programs come in and where that um, partnership between the prescriber and the school is really important. So true. That's so true. And I love the the work we do with the Allison Rose Foundation and how Codana teaches their uh, first responders, firemen and women, EMTs, how to then teach in schools about food allergy and anaphylaxis. Um, it's a beautiful train the trainer. And it's just, it's such a collaborative. And that's really what this, this roadmap gets at is that everybody sort of has a part that they can play. And one of the questions that we get from sort of all sides is really, okay, what's the liability? And that really brings it all back to why, um, why Maddie, this paper is just, I think, so, so important. Um, sort of as we wrap up our interview, I kind of wanted to ask you what was really surprising to you as, as we were going through this. First thing I found was really surprising was just sometimes how hard it was to find this information. You know, I had the privilege of hours to dedicate to this and I had a whole team that I could correspond with, including you and other Codana team members and double check what I was reading and get some clarification. But, you know, that's that was a privilege I had and I can't imagine, you know, someone 
who just was trying to quickly look up this information and then just gets finds all these roadblocks where it's just, just these laws aren't comprehensive and sometimes they're very difficult to find. And so I think that's the first thing. And then once you do finally get to laws, trying to parse through them and figure out where you fall in them. I, I, I couldn't agree more. One of the jokes that we sort of have now is the heterogeneity of how states put up their laws yes. <laughs> and how it can be challenging to really sort through what is a what is an established and acted code compared to what is what has gone into committee and then not all states really nicely lay out where legislation currently is in its process or journey, whatever you want to call it. So it's um, and definitely as two medical people here, not legal people, um, no. <laughs> but still people, you know, who mm-hmm. who are educated people. Um, I agree with you. It was pretty surprising how how challenging it was to really, really comb through what what some of it was. Um, so so now we're wrapping up. Is there anything that I didn't ask about that that you found just we really want to point out to our listeners or or anything else on this topic that you're just, that just really fascinates you? Yeah, I think, I think we alluded to this earlier, but sometimes, you know, people who have food allergy or know they can, they're at risk for anaphylaxis, like you said, often self-care their medications. So maybe people might be thinking, oh, why is this, you know, such a big deal? But it always, it always kind of surprises me. And I always forget sometimes that anaphylaxis can happen at any time, anywhere, to anyone. And so it's not, you know, having the stock epi on hand is just, it's it's so important and it can save lives. And anything that we can do to help make it a little bit clearer, I think is definitely worth the effort. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know you're doing awesome in school. So keep up the good work, my friend. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. That's the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Of course, I'm an allergist, but I'm not your allergist. So talk with your allergist about what you learned on this episode and visit us at foodallergyandyourkiddo.com where you can submit your family's questions. God bless you and God bless your family. (laughs) 